Good morning, church. Hey, uh, if you are a veteran, you're still standing. Can you remain standing? If you are sitting, can you please stand? We want to take time to honor you this morning. Thank God for you. So if you're a veteran, would you please stand? Thank you. We do. We thank God for you. Thank you for your your service. Uh, we have a little gift in the foyer on your way out. Uh, there'll be some. Ooh, wow. Hey, that's, that's a lot of love right there. I like that. We have a gift for you in the foyer on your way out. Um, you can grab that. Again, we just want to continue to honor you and thank God for you. Um, I, I just want to say one, one more word about it. If, if, you're, if you're new to the church, if you've been coming here since it was June or July, um, please come to the meal uh, today. It's uh, free food, getting to hang out, getting to know some other folks that are also new, getting to uh, meet the elders. Uh, we would love to be able to, to meet you and talk to you more um, about the church, but just to get to know you better. Um, so please come out to that just right after the, uh, the service, right, right here in the sanctuary. All right. Well, my name is Stuart McCray of the Joy Serving on Staff here as one of the pastors, and it is just a privilege to be able to worship our great God and Savior alongside of you this morning, be able to sit underneath his word with you. And so we're going to be continuing our, our series through the Ten Commandments this morning, looking at the Eighth Commandment. And as we've been doing throughout this series, uh, we're going to recite the commandments together. We've, we've made them abbreviated now that we're getting uh, long here in them. Um, so will you uh, join me in reciting these commandments together? You shall have no other gods before me. No stealing. This is a simple one, right? This is the one we get to take a pass on, right? We, we, we look at this commandment, and uh, this is where we all get to say, I got that one taken care of. Right? I mean, I, th I think just about everybody can agree that uh, stealing is wrong. I mean, even thieves don't like their stuff stolen, right? <laughs> Several years ago, the Barnard Research Group took a survey amongst adults, and nearly 90 percent, nearly 90 percent claim that they had completely satisfied God's requirements for this commandment. When we look into the mirror of God's law, right, we, we look at the law, they're, they're supposed to reflect back and show us that uh, we've missed the mark, to, to include this one here, the Eighth Commandment, but, but not this one, right? This one's for the thieves and the looters and the pickpockets. This one's not for you and I, Right? Now, what if I told you that there are two sides to this commandment? You see, the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal, instructs us both to not take what is not ours and to be good stewards of and to be generous with what is. At its heart, this commandment is about loving neighbor, admitting that everything belongs to God and trusting God's providential care for us. What if we were to discover that this commandment actually has just as much to say to the, to the robbers and the pickpockets as it does to those who give half-hearted effort at their work? Maybe you don't steal in any sort of traditional sense, but are you positively being generous and a good steward with what you have? 
God's, God's laws to include the Ten Commandments are, are grace for us. We're going to receive God's grace this morning as he, as I think he confronts us with our temptation towards selfishness and a distrust for him. So we're going to, we're going to approach this, you'll see this in your sermon notes, we're going to approach this by, by going through just two things. What is God asking us to do? And then what is God not asking us to do? Um, oh, flip that around. What is God asking us to not do? And then what God is asking us to do? So what is God asking us to not do? All right, I, I poured over. I wanted to serve us well, so I poured over the, the Hebrew and the Greek for this verse. And so I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you that this means no stealing. But, but seriously, we, we really don't have to uh, make this complicated. God is commanding us to not take what doesn't belong to us. That's it. The Eighth Commandment, it's interesting here, it assumes the right to and goodness of private property and possessions. This, this isn't just a, a modern day thought. This is actually all throughout the Bible. The Old Testament law operates actually under the assumption that God cares an awful lot about personal and private possessions. So this, this commandment on the surface is, is very easy. We can understand no stealing. But what we may not realize is that the, there's a range of application that the Old Testament deals with as it pertains to this commandment. So I just want to go through three then I want us to, to highlight maybe some ways that we're tempted to violate this commandment. And then finally, we'll see when this section uh, by considering the, the vertical dimension in our violations. So the first issue, again, you see these in your notes. The first issue addressed was kidnapping and slavery, stealing another person by force. So Exodus 21, uh, 16, your notes say verse 6. That's, that's my bad. It's Exodus 21, 16. The screen has got it right. So this is just one chapter later, right? So the Ten Commandments come in Exodus 20. So one chapter later, Exodus 21, 16 says this, whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. One commentator says this, while the Bible doesn't do as much to outlaw every kind of slavery as we might want to see from our vantage point, Slavery in the Bible was very different from the slavery that existed in the New World. The chattel slavery that existed in America was actually outlawed by the Eighth Commandment. Remember, he goes on, Israel had been freed from slavery. God wanted them to understand what it was to be a free people so they were not to enslave each other again. Yes, foreign people were sometimes taken as spoils of war, and Israelites could put themselves into indentured servitude, but capturing people for slavery was always considered wrong. At least it should have been if they truly understood God's commandments. And this isn't merely an Old Testament thing either. In the New Testament, 1 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 10, Paul, this is really interesting, in sequence of the Ten Commandments, list off violations. And, and after going through some prohibitions in the Seventh Commandment, sexual morality and uh, men who practice homosexuality, Paul calls out enslavers. He's, he's applying the Eighth Commandment. He's saying an application is enslavers is wrong. Those who commit slavery are wrong. What, what's more, Paul tells us at the end of this passage that Every violation of the Ten Commandments to include slavery is, quote, contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel. 
The Israelites would also be guilty of violating this commandment if they took land that didn't belong to them. In Deuteronomy 19.14, it says, you shall not move your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set, in the inheritance that you will hold in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you possess. So people might steal land by, by moving boundary markers. This would be akin to us you know, moving the fence line today, you know, so you can get that three more feet into your uh, shed. Another application of the eighth commandment found in uh, Deuteronomy 25, 13 through 15 is cheating and swindling folks through falsifying weights and measurements. Merchants in Israel used scales uh, to weigh commodities like grain, gold, silver, and dishonest merchants. They would have, they'd have two sets. Uh, they would have one that weighed things appropriately so they wouldn't get cheated, and then they would have the, the bogus set so that they could uh, cheat others. There are many, many, many more applications of this commandment. Burglary, robbery, larceny, hijacking, unfaithfulness in contracts, oppression, extortion, bribery. The list goes on. How about plagiarism? Plagiarism violates the Eighth Commandment because the, the, the plagiarist steals the intellectual property of another. How about the piracy of music or movies or software online? Insurance fraud, cheating on your taxes or defaulting on a loan. All of these are violations of the Eighth Commandment. Phil Riken, we, we've mentioned him throughout this series, uh, writes a wonderful book uh, on the Ten Commandments. So Phil Riken, he astutely points out, citizens steal from government by underpaying their taxes or making false claims for disability and social security. The government steals too by wasting public money and by accumulating debt without fully planning to repay. As employees, we can steal money simply by not putting in a full day's work. Rather than diligently working, oh, we can, we can fritter our time away with non-work-related things like flipping through social media, doing online shopping, texting friends, the, the, the list goes on. We steal money from our jobs by simply giving half-hearted effort. Because you see, whenever we give anything less than our best effort, we are, we are robbing our employer of the productivity that we owe them, that we are being paid for. We can steal from our employers by starting late, finishing early, doing both, by stretching out the coffee break and the lunch break, by falsifying uh, inaccurately our sick and vacation days. It's theft when debts are left unpaid. For, for some, living in debt is a, is a strategic way of life. I don't mean using the, the credit card and, and diligently paying it off each month. I, I, I mean to knowingly and strategically live in debt with no real intention to pay it off. This is a form of breaking the Eighth Commandment. Lazy reliance Lazy reliance on individuals, charities, organizations, and the government is a form of robbery, violating the Eighth Commandment because the lazy individual is taking what does not belong to them when there is work that they can do. There are many, hear me now, there are many social and governmental programs that help people in need, and those are good. They're not meant to be excuses. Paul speaks sharply 
in 1 Thessalonians 3.10 when he says, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And then the Proverbs, Proverbs time and again speaks very clearly about the sinfulness of the sluggard and their laziness. What about greed? The, the selfish craving for more. Now, maybe this only seemingly manifests itself in our, our hearts and not, not in what we, what we do. But greed sinfully violates the Eighth Commandment. Greed's the air we breathe in our culture, is it, is it not? And I think the air that kind of, the, the wind rather, that kind of stirs it up is discontentment. It, it is, dare I say, impossible to, to disconnect greed from discontentment. And so I'm inclined to call it discontented greed. Discontented greed is, is, is the, the, the wanting of the next thing, the, the newer thing, the, the better thing. It, it's, it's, it's when you... Maybe you even don't have intentions on buying the new thing, but you, you just can't help but looking at that, that, new, that new device, the new, the new set of clothing that came out, the new, the new toy this, the new, new thing that. Just sort of getting a little taste, right? Discontented greed comes down to just selfishness. But it's a temptation for all of us. So it's right for us to, to ask the simple question of how, how are we doing with discontented greed. How are you doing with discontented greed? How are you doing with the, the selfishness that can sort of spawn in your heart? The reality is every violation of the Eighth Commandment is ultimately a sin against God. It's a sin against God in at least two ways. First, any, any, any kind, any form of stealing is ultimately Stealing from God because God owns everything. Psalm 24 says, The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to Yahweh because he laid his foundation on the seas and established it on the rivers. Everything is God's because he is the creator. And to steal anything is to actually be stealing from God himself. Let me give you um, an example. This maybe might seem like an unusual connection. This is, uh, Pastor Doug kind of pointed to this earlier. So I, I get the joy more often than not to each and every Sunday lead us uh, through our time of worship through giving. And so effectively each and every Sunday I get to remind us that all that we have is a gift from our Heavenly Father above. And we don't give back to him because he's in need of anything. He owns everything. But we give just a small portion of all that he has gifted to us to, to steward on his behalf as an expression of our thankfulness and our worship to him, an expression of our, our trust that, that he knows better than us even with our finances. Here's the connection. In Malachi 3, God charges his people of robbing him when they withhold their giving and their tithe. These were, these were poor folks. We've got to understand the situation here. These were poor folks. They had just come back from the exile. That was not a get-rich scheme. They were poor and destitute. And they were not giving because 
either they were charging God as being unjust for their circumstances and or they, they thought that they would do better with holding on to their own money than entrusting him with it. So they, they did not give. God said that they were robbing him by doing so. All that we have is a gift from God above. And, and when we don't give back to him, we, we are effectively saying, we're effectively saying in our hearts that this is mine, I worked for it, and I'm gonna do with it as I please. Friends, we, we, we give not because God is needy, but because we are. We give because he first gave to us. We're expressing our thankfulness to him and our trust that he will provide for our every need. All that we have, all that we have is a gift from God and it belongs to God, even our time and our talents. We can rob God by not wisely using our time and talents in ways that are pleasing to him and for the good of neighbor. Second, any kind of violation of the Eighth Commandment is a sin against God because it is a failure to trust God's providential care for us. Violating the Eighth Commandment is to boldly declare, any, any, any form of violating the Eighth Commandment is to boldly declare that God has not nor will supply you your needs. It's an expression of distrust. Let's just go back to a simple example of, of the plagiarist. And when the plagiarist plagiarizes, they are, they are declaring that God has not provided them a mind that can think, the, the ability to put forth good effort and work, and therefore they are needing to, to steal someone else's intellectual property because God has done them wrong. Those greener grass conspiracy theories really just expressions of faithlessness towards God and manifestations of our sinful proclivity to minimize or disregard God's fatherly care for us. I think it's a good opportunity to just pause and take some inventory of our hearts. There are, would you agree, far too many things that we deem as too little or we've just grown callous to them. And so we justify our little violations. But the great offenses to the God who owns everything and graciously cares for us. And so I wonder, this was good for me to think about the, this, this week, I wonder, could stop thief be a word of grace for you this morning? If so, God in his grace is calling you out to call you back in. He's exposing us this morning not to just rip us raw, but to give us grace so that we would repent, turn away from these things, and, and turn towards Christ. And if necessary, seek forgiveness from our neighbor. Well, let me say another word about that last one. There is, there is sufficient and God wants to pour generously out his grace for us to, if needs be, even go seek restitution with our neighbors. God wants to give us grace to even do 
those things. Just like he did with Zacchaeus, the tax collector, right? Out of the overflow of, of his salvation, Zacchaeus gave to the poor and restored fourfold to those that he had defrauded. Friends, there is, there is grace here. So the eighth commandment is not just about the negative, no stealing, but with that, God is also positively calling us to be good stewards and to be generous with what we have. So this commandment is a stewardship issue because all that we have is a gift from God above and he's given us all that we have for us to steward his stuff well. A steward is someone who looks after and cares for another's property. We've been given a sacred trust, each and every one of us. It actually doesn't matter if you admit it or not. It's the reality that we've been given a sacred trust to look after and wisely use God's stuff for love of him and love of neighbor. Good stewardship means taking care of what you've been given, not letting it fall into disrepair. It means, being, means not being wasteful. We, we can waste our, our money or our resources, and if we do, we're, we're guilty of a kind of theft. I mean, in other words, there, there is such a thing as a wise investment and a foolish investment. Stewardship is not just about material goods, but is also wisely stewarding the gifts, the talents, and indeed the time that God has given us. Good stewardship also means working hard because work is a gift from God. We could spend a whole sermon talking about this, but here's the reality. Work is not a result of the fall. It's a result of creation. You and I were created to work, and we were gifted work, and it is good. You see, the fall made that which was supposed to be enjoyable wildly difficult. And despite that work is fraught with difficulty, the Bible continues to emphasize that we are to work. And we are to work in ways pleasing to the Lord. It said that good stewardship starts with meeting the needs of our families, then it extends to the church and to the global work of the gospel, and finally it reaches out into the poor in our communities and around the world. So how, how are we doing with stewardship? How are you doing with stewardship? Here's some of the things I've been asking myself this past week. How am I stewarding my money? How am I stewarding the home I live in? How am I stewarding the children that God has gifted me? Am I stewarding my neighbor relationships, my job, my coworkers? How am I stewarding my, my lovely wife? Guys, we're stewards of everything that we have because everything that we have is a gift from God above. Let, let, let's think a bit more here about stewardship of time. If we were to, uh, to be able to look at and replay the tape of your life just even the past week, what would we see that you spent your time on? How'd you use your time as it pertains to just sort of frivolous things, fleeting things, selfish things? 
How much time did you, you, you spend uh, flipping through Facebook or Twitter or Instagram? How much time did you spend binge watching shows? How much time did you spend seeking to honor the Lord and, and honor others around you? These are things that have convicted me too. It wasn't, it wasn't too, too long ago that I had a, had a beat of conviction that I needed to delete off the social media stuff off my phone and I, and I just did it quickly before I, I, I convinced myself not to. And, and, and the real humbling thing, the, the real humbling, jarring thing is that I didn't realize that I had actually won how much inordinate time, most of our phones now, actually you can check out the time you should use on apps. If you want to really be humbled and embarrass yourself, go look at like that. Um, but I didn't realize how much time I'd spent. I could, just, I could just sense it and realize it. Well, the other thing is I also developed just sort of an instinct for it. And it was later that day, I pulled out my, my phone just mindlessly, and then I was like, what am I doing? And, and then I realized I was just instinctively, mindlessly going to flip through social media. I realized it wasn't there. And, and I was forced to use my time in better ways. Now, I mean, I still use social media stuff on, on the computer, but I realized that taking it off the phone and relegating it to just my laptop has, has been good for me. I've needed that type of structure uh, to help me with my, my time. That's humbling. Many of us could have more available time to do things for others or with or for God, but we're, we're simply unintentional. And, and before we know it, we sort of meandered through our time doing we don't even know what. In reflection, we have no idea. I, I don't think any of us normally wake up in the mornings and say, I'm gonna waste time today. <laughs> but before we know it, day after day, we just, we just do. The, the poem, Only One Life, carries this well-known line. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. We, we've all been gifted the, the same 24 hours in our day. That's it. As hard as you might, you can't add to it. How are you using your, your precious hours? Are you using them in ways that will mark eternity? or ways that will be forgotten. And it'll be, I don't even know what I did. As I've basically suggested, this, this has been good for me to consider this. I, I go through ebbs and flows of how well I use my time. This has been good for me. I, I've, I've continued to, to, to learn and grow uh, that, that I need to have to be more intentional. This is a day by day. Sometimes it's a, even at the, the midpoint of the day and thinking about how am I using my time and are there things that I can be doing better now with the rest of my day. It's so easy, I think, to, to sort of slide in this area. So I don't know if you can relate. If you can, let me, let me share with you. This will be no surprise, but let me share with you what I've been encouraging myself with this past week, and that is there's, there's grace to repent there's grace to, to turn away from foolish use of time and turn to using our time in redemptive and God-honoring ways. There's grace to do this, friends. 
There is grace to redeem the time and to use it in God-honoring ways. Well, God, through the Eighth Commandment, is also positively calling us to be generous with what is ours, what he has gifted us with. Paul says in Ephesians 4.28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands for this reason, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Friends, when we think about the reasons that we work hard, sometimes even to the point of, of exhaustion, we, we may think of reasons like paying our bills, taking care of our family, entertainment, and, and, and many other hosts of, of fine and, and decent things. But, but, I, but I wonder, are, are one of those reasons God's reason here in this text so that we may have something to share with anyone in need? We could easily broaden this out too and just say, do we work hard so that we can be generous towards others? The, the grace of generosity, the grace of generosity is part and parcel for the disciple of Jesus. Because generosity was embodied in the one to whom we are a disciple of. The grace of generosity is part and parcel for the disciple of Jesus because generosity is embodied in Jesus. And so to, to be his disciple and to pursue more likeness of his image is for us to exercise and be generous ourselves. Generosity stands in steep contrast to the culture of me, myself, and I, doesn't it? Christians, especially here in America, are in a constant internal battle between love of and want of earthly treasure versus heavenly treasure. Jesus famously says in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I found this quote from Kent Hughes as I was working through some commentaries. He says this, every time I give, I declare that money does not control me. And then he says this, perpetual generosity is a perpetual deification of money. Do you remember the rich young ruler in Matthew 19? All right, so this is the, this is the, rich, young ruler, right? And he, he comes to Jesus and he proclaims that he is, he is completely satisfied and, and upheld and, and fulfilled the, the commandments to, to include thou shalt not steal. And so he asks Jesus, what else do I need to do? So Jesus' answer is this, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now the, the man had no doubt given to uh, the, the poor. That was seen as a pious thing. He certainly wants to be seen as pious. He had no doubt given to the poor but only to the degree that he didn't diminish what he really loved and worshipped. His money, his, his possessions, his earthly treasure. You see, friends, one of the indicators for where our allegiance is, either with God or with stuff, is seen in our generosity. In 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, Paul speaks he speaks into our American experience. 
He says this, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of earthly riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. The rich are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So I ask us, are we generous? Are we ready and eager to share? Do we see the fleeting nature and uncertainty of earthly treasures? Do we see that our ultimate treasure is enjoyment of God and being with him forever in heaven. In Matthew 13, 44, Jesus likens the kingdom of heaven to that of a, a treasure hidden in a field, right? And in that parable, he says that a man went and he found the treasure hidden in a field. And it says, in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has so he can go buy that field and get that treasure. Friends, if we're going to be generous, we must see that our treasures are not here, but there. And as we do, we will loosen our grip on the things of this world and generously and freely give it all away. Practically, practically speaking, one of the one of the cures that God gives us to fight greed and covetousness in our hearts is to practice generosity. As disciples of Jesus, when we practice generosity, we do two things. We relinquish ourselves from earthly treasures and we proclaim our love for neighbor and love for God. So what does it look like? What does it look like for you to practice generosity? This is an interesting question for me to even consider this past week. What does it look like? So right now, what are you doing? Not what could you be doing, what are you doing right now? What does it look like to practice generosity? What does it look like for you to practice generosity? Maybe it's blessing someone with your time, your talents, your finances. Where's your heart at? I mean, you just need your desire to practice generosity. Would you describe your giving to God through the local church for the gospel's advance as generous? How, how generous are you with showing grace and forgiveness to those that have wronged you? Isn't, isn't that the one where we, we, we want that? Please be generous with me with that. But how generous are we in showing grace and forgiveness with those that have wronged us? What does it look like for you to practice generosity? Now listen. Generosity does not earn you God's approval. God's approval comes with you being gifted Christ's righteousness by simple faith in Jesus alone. The believer's generosity is an overflow from the generosity that Christ himself demonstrated in dying on the cross for our sins. 
2 Corinthians 8 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Friends, true, others focused, God centered generosity is a fruit, not a root, of God saving you. God honoring, neighbor loving generosity is evidence that God has saved you and that he is at work in you. Rather than taking, because of what Christ has done for us, we should be rightly motivated to generously and freely give. Give of our money, our belongings, to freely give of our time and our talents. Oh, the the generosity and the kindness and the love of God, what he did to save us is Way more than what we will ever give away in this life. The eighth commandment is yet another commandment where we have to admit that in one way or another, we have not obeyed God. Only Jesus fully obeyed, thou shalt not steal. And as you probably recall, Jesus died between two thieves, two violators of the Eighth Commandment. But you know what? As far as God's justice was concerned, there was three on Calvary. You see, because the innocent one stood in the place of the guilty and took on their sin. You see, for thieves like you and me, Jesus took on thieving and became a thief for us and died for our sin so that by simple faith in him, we would be gifted his righteousness. Just like the thief on the cross who said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me, When you come into your kingdom, and Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. Friends, if you are here this morning and you are not trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you you, you do stand guilty before him as certainly a violator of the Eighth Commandment, but, but Jesus did what you and I could not do and would never do. As the perfect, sinless, innocent one who perfectly obeyed all of God's laws, died on the cross for our sins. He took on our stealing, our thievery, our plagiarism, our laziness. I want to commend you that today's the day, if you have not, today's the day to trust in Jesus. Let's end here. The eighth commandment, you shall not steal, instructs us to both not take what is not ours and to be good stewards of and to be generous with what is. At its heart, this commandment is about loving neighbor, admitting that everything belongs to the Lord and trusting God's providential care for us. Let's pray.
God, you are, you are a generous and kind God. It's just even evidenced by, by gifting us the commandments. They are grace to us. They are grace to us so that we might see and know your perfection. But, but then also to be able to, to be guided and protected by your grace. This is, this is how you are calling us to live. And Father, we're asking for you to pour out more grace, to, to empower us to do this. We, we cannot do no stealing. We cannot do stewardship and generosity without your help. We, we are needy and we need your help. Please help. Oh, we want to honor you. We want to love you with, with the way that we engage with those around us and the stuff that you've given us to steward. Help us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.